Hey there, this is Natalie Argarius, and you're listening to The Urbanist Podcast, a podcast in which we discuss news, information, and ideas related to improving cities and quality of life. In this episode, I had the chance to chat with reporter Ryan Packer about Yimby Town, a conference that took place recently in Portland, Oregon, that gathered together lots of housing advocates. It was an interesting conversation, and I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing it. Stick around. So I'm here with Ryan Packer, who uh, is one of the longtime reporters and editors for The Urbanist. Thanks to thanks for being here today, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and so Ryan um, is going to talk a little bit about their experience at Yimby Town, um, a conference uh, that occurred, what was it now, a couple weeks ago? Two weeks ago on uh, Portland, Oregon. Great. And yeah, and, and so I thought before we got started, you could maybe introduce yourself a little bit, talk about your involvement with The Urbanist and what you'd like to focus your writing and transportation advocacy around. Sure. Um, so once again, Ryan Packer, um, I use they, them pronouns. I've been working with The Urbanist since um, 2014, 2015. Uh, so it's been um, quite a few years of, of um, growing my reporting uh, work at The Urbanists. I started out just sort of writing about projects that were happening in the city. Um, my first article actually was not about transportation. It was about um, historic preservation in Belltown, actually. Um, but I kind of found a niche in terms of writing about active transportation, keeping people who walk and bike safe, um, infrastructure for that, and kind of stumbled into reporting on the entire statewide transportation ecosystem uh, because it's all interconnected and the things that happen in the legislature impact the things that happen at your city council impact the things that happen elsewhere and so i've kind of evolved my reporting over the years and now i basically am covering all the different levels of transportation um, with a particular focus like i said on on uh, walking and biking but also sort of scrutiny of the mega projects that happen in Washington in terms of the highway projects, um, I-5 expansion, et cetera. And so you're really active on social media as well. Um, how did you, I guess, how did your social media reporting come to be? It's a good question. Um, it kind of evolved over time um, because I was sort of filling a, um, a void that kind of exists in terms of people who want to attend all of the different public meetings that happen, but they can't, their time is limited. They have families and they want to spend time with them and they want to know what the, what was said at meetings. And so that's sort of a, um, an untapped niche that, uh, that more and more people are filling um, in terms of people who are able to actually tell people what is actually happening during those meetings. And that sort of, has become a little bit of a, a place that people go to to find out what's happening. And um, if yeah. um, if people want to, uh, you know, read what you're reporting on on Twitter, where can they find you? Sure. Your- uh, so at Twitter, um, at uh, Typewriter Alley. Um, it's an old uh, nickname uh, uh, account there. Um, but uh, yeah, at Typewriter Alley, um, you can also... Um, yeah, look at looking up on the Urbanist for all of the. Yeah, and I'll be sure to have the the link. Um, included in the uh, the summary uh, or the description of this podcast. Mm-hmm. So let's pivot a little bit to talking about Yimby Town. Um, 
prior to you saying that you were going to moderate a panel at Yimby Town, I had never heard of it. So can you tell our listeners a bit about what is this conference, kind of what's its history, who organizes it, what is it seeking to achieve? Sure. And so um, first of all, Yimby is obviously stands for Yes in My Backyard. Um, it's sort of created as a, you know, an antithesis to um, to NIMBY. Not, 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 nothing in my backyard, not, not in my backyard, um, sort of, you know, anti-development. Um, and so this was its fourth iteration, um, based in the Northwest, um, focused on improving uh, access to housing through market-based solutions. Um, and so this, like I said, was its fourth iteration, um, and it sort of evolved over time as the, the term UMB, you know, is sort of um, becoming to mean different things, particularly in different areas. Yeah, I want to hear more about that. So I, I'm just going to share a quick anecdote. So I've considered myself a UMB for a long time because I'm pro housing density. And I have to say, I'm not, I'm not just a UMB and like spirit, I am a Yimby in lived experience. Um, in the eight plus years that I've lived in my current condo, I have had multiple construction projects occur in my backyard. And I'm looking out at one right now as we sit and talk. It's the um, construction of a new multifamily building that will initially be used by Swedish Hospital, uh, the Cherry Hill campus, as a place for uh, families who have um, loved ones who are in the hospital to stay while their loved ones are receiving treatment or undergoing surgery. Wow, uh, that sounds great. Um... Yeah, I'm in Capitol Hill, so I've I've been watching the development happening in my backyard as well. Um, in terms of in terms of the you know the connotations, you know, it's ultimately just sort of I think primarily just you know created as like that counterpoint to, to NIMBYism, but it sort of has taken on this this valence of of only looking at market solutions, only looking at uh, lessening zoning laws. Um, and not so much um, the broad spectrum of housing choice um, tools. Um, and so I think particularly um, in the California um, contingents of, of NIMBYs um, in Seattle, we have uh, an alignment where people who are uh, elected on pro-housing um, platforms are generally also in favor of um, tenant uh, reform uh, laws uh, allowing, you know, improving things for tenants, um, things like rent control. Um, but that those, those two things are not always on the same side of the political spectrum. And so in, I think in California, it's actually a little bit different. And so they've had to kind of uh, deal with that. And so sometimes EMBs are seen as um, wanting to um, loosen zoning laws, but not really help out renters. And thankfully, we we have a political alignment in Washington and Seattle, particularly that is um, is not set up in that way. And so we've had less of those fights. That's good to but, hear. Yeah. So I, I guess the other thing to think about in the context of this term, too, is the fact that I know myself and I think some others at The Urbanist have become more cautious about using the term NIMBY because uh -huh. it's kind of become this blanket almost slur really that tends to refer to people who um, you know they they don't want to see their neighborhood change or their block change they want to preserve the character of what is 
most typically a single family zoned area, although what's amazing in Seattle is how so many of these places have multifamily housing that precede the 1970s when zoning started to get tightened up. Um, but I know in the past, I, I used to use the term NIMBY, but I really shy away from it now. And that's also made me a bit more um, cautious about using the term YIMBY as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think NIMBY is a slur, but I do think that it, you know, it, it's not the most nuanced term. Um, and so you can have somebody who is opposing a development in the neighborhood because uh, displacement concerns, and you can have a same person who just doesn't want a tall building next to them. And those are very different things. And so the context is really important. Um, I am going to uh, refer to something that Laura Lowe, who's a Seattle housing advocate and has been attending all of the Yimby towns um, on behalf of our region, um, likes to say that Yimby is actually a verb and not a, not a thing that you are, it's a thing that you do, um, which I think is pretty apt. Um, and so, but in terms of this conference, there was a very um, clear push to broaden the coalition, um, to include uh, Homelessness Act advocates. Um, we had uh, some speakers from Real Change, uh, the Street Roots uh, newspaper, a homeless newspaper in, in Portland. And so, um, yeah, I think there was, and, and then obviously the, the transportation element, sort of expanding that is housing is not just about what you build, it's about how people get around as well. And so um, that's why I was invited um, through work that I've been doing, particularly highlighting uh, the highway expansion that's planned between Washington and Oregon, uh, dubbed the interstate bridge replacement, even though it's not actually uh, just a bridge. Yeah, I guess so. Could you talk then a little bit, um, let's pivot to talking about the session that you moderated. Was it devoted to that topic? Uh, Yeah, the panel was great. Uh, It was called Fighting the Freeway Industrial Complex and What It Means for Housing. So um, very, very glad to have a bunch of um, people who are pushing back against expanded highway infrastructure in their communities. Um, So we had uh, Martha Ruskowski from Further Strategies in in Colorado, um, who's working with uh, that state DOT. They're actually making strides to um, examine the greenhouse impacts of, of new highways. Um, they have a new rule that should be copied elsewhere in the country, hopefully the next couple of years. Um, and we had um, Alex Contreras, who's uh, one of the founding people behind the Happy City Coalition in California, which is also fighting um, freeway expansions. They have a bill in California that would uh, essentially uh, stop freeway expansions in overburdened communities. Uh, it's been through the legislature in California. And we had Ada Crandall, who is uh, a high schooler in Portland and is uh, now um, been striking for climate uh, for a whole year um, to basically raise awareness of the fact that the Oregon Department of Transportation is wanting to widen a highway, I-5, right next to a middle school. I've read about that, and I think I read that already the students are advised to not spend substantial amounts of time outside of the school because of the poor quality of um, air in the area. So it's a it's kind of shocking to think that they're looking at expanding the freeway further there. So I'd right. love to hear more about like this connection to housing. Um, mm-hmm. You know how how within this panel within the discussions you had, how did housing come up? Um, and so. Um, in a lot of different ways. Um, there was another panel on, on um, uh, freeway teardowns. So the fight to basically um, 
you know, remove some of the highway infrastructure that we currently have. Um, and the, the, um, the moderator of that panel, uh, ben, ben Crowther of the Congress for the New Urbanism, uh, basically opened that panel by saying that um, that highway expansion is a housing problem. Um, and so, because when you expand highways, you make it easier for people to commute from longer distances and you make that housing that's further on the periphery and basically sprawl, you make that more um, easily accessible and induce demand to build housing there. So um, those are the connections. And obviously, you know, the issue of uh, building highways directly through communities, dividing them, putting, um, putting uh, emissions in the air, um, making people sick with with uh, pollutants is obviously, you know, an impact that impacts everybody. Um, but in terms of the, the housing direct connection, you know, but like, uh, it, they're just, they're basically just two, two sides of the same coin. Yeah, it's, it does sound to me like this is a more nuanced take on yimbianism, yimbianism than, you know, might um, exist in certain conversations, because I can imagine there being some camps of people who are like, we have this acute housing shortage um, throughout many communities in our country, if not perhaps the entire nation at this point. And so I could see certain parties saying, yeah, we need to build housing wherever we can, however we can, we just need ho- more housing. But it sounds like that really wasn't the mentality at this conference. Yeah. And, and I think everyone recognizes that you can't build housing everywhere. You have to build it where there's, where there's transportation infrastructure. Um, and so, you know, those, they have to go hand in hand. Um, and so I think, you know, we're talking about increased access to public transit, um, more transit funding. And then you also, we also talk, just talk about like diverting money from, from these massive highway expansions that are um, billions of dollars um, that go into in sort of questionable utility because the highways just fill up. Um, and this is something that this is something that our our state uh, secretary of transportation, um, who I have to say is like probably you know one of the the uh, most outspoken state DOT heads, uh, Roger Millar, um, who incidentally used to work for Smart Growth America, um, is out in front on this, saying that adding lanes to the interstates is not feasible. It's not environmentally feasible. It's not uh, financially feasible. It's just, uh, it's not efficient. And so um, that's sort of a recognition of what else we could do with this money and put it into actually efficient ways to move people. Um, and looking at the, the dense housing that is next to these and instead of you you know moving away from park and rides and having live live and rides i like that So let's let's pan out a little bit to more broadly what was it like to participate in the conference um so the conference was pretty exciting. Um, obviously, there was the, a level of everyone coming out of, of their pandemic um, experiences. For most of the, most of the people had their first, you know, if not uh, only their first conference, their first sort of big in, in-person gathering. Um, in terms of you know, in terms of uh, just creating whole coalitions during the time that the pandemic was happening, and so that was a, another added level. And then there was an, just the fact that there were a lot of elected officials, uh, people who, who make housing policy and transportation policy in Washington and other parts of the country um, 
former mayor Mike McGinn, Bothell Mayor Mason Thompson, um, representatives and senators in the legislature. Uh, so it's great to to be able to chat with them about policy. That's great. And what were some of the you you mentioned? You know, there were other panels as well and other sessions that were going on. What were some of the highlights for you? Yeah, I think the one of the highlights was a legislative debrief um, with the members of the Washington Legislature on the 2022 session, looking at the failures of several bills to improve housing availability um, with uh, Representative Joe Fitzgibbon, um, Senator Mona Das, and Representative Davina Dewar, um, just sort of going through the the reasons that Representative Bateman's bill 1782 that was um, promoted by Governor Inslee, you know, failed, uh, as well as, you know, an ADU bill and the climate change bill on 1099 uh, incorporating um, climate change into local comp plans, all those bills failed. And so there was a, there was a hard look in terms of the pressures that, that are leading groups like uh, the Association of Washington Cities to oppose statewide measures for changing zoning reform and take a long look at how we can actually create coalitions to um, actually move forward. Ultimately, I'm not, I'm not sure that I came away with a clear path, but it was definitely um, enlightening to hear some of the reasons that, that those bills failed in terms of deferring to cities that, that just want to contain, want to continue to retain their local control. So you used the word cathartic earlier, which makes me think a bit about reflection, a more emotional experience, and not necessarily um, problem solving per se. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like perhaps maybe it's too early to begin like looking out to the next legislative session or thinking about other strategies, or do you think it was such an over, you know, such a strong shared emotional experience that people just had this rare opportunity to be together and needed to maybe have time to process? Um, I definitely do. Um, that's a really insightful point. Um, I also do think there was you know, a level of preaching to the choir, um, which is important. Um, and so ultimately, I'm not sure that that will always lead to the best um, outcomes in terms of being able to recognize your own internal failures. Um, and I will say that that always applies to everything that I advocate around as well. I'm not saying that the, that that issue is different or uh, unique. Uh, so I think there's a place and a time for, you know, um, talking amongst your, your core group of supporters on an issue. But I think there's still a lot of skepticism about broad zoning reform, even among people who would be very clear allies. And so, um, yeah, I think that, I think there is a path forward. Uh, I'm not sure what it is yet. Okay, so we're kind of getting toward the end of our time um, together. And I just, I would like to know, is there anything else that you would like listeners to know about the conference or your particular experience at the conference? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think I t uh, the, the biggest thing that I took away from EB Town is, you know, there's a broad group of people who are very interested in in um, zoning reform and you know making it easier for cities to build housing and and that's a very important coalition but the the biggest thing is just making people understand that that is one tool in the toolbox and there's all these other things that are happening in tandem nobody believes that 
Uh, nobody that I should say um, is a worthwhile organizer on this issue believes that zoning reform alone will fix things. But I think oftentimes, even when you talk about it, people kind of jump to the, the fact that you're just supporting market rate solutions. And in terms of the support for public housing, support for tenant rights reforms, support for um, you know rent stabilization, um, and yes, um, fighting highway expansion and and keeping keeping transit investment um, doing the most good. So basically, the large coalition is the winning coalition. And when we only talk about one aspect of this issue, we kind of lose people. Well, thank you, Ryan. Um, I really appreciate you sharing um, your experience with me and with our listeners. And um, it sounds like, you know, it was a it was a really powerful experience. And we appreciate getting to learn about it through you. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. 